got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew, doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check You're listening to bruise beards and shipwrecks One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus. And I'm here today with my co-host. Nomadic Vagabond. What's going on, dude? Nothing, man. Um, it's nice 85 degrees out here in sunny Portland, Oregon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I've got plenty of liquids and beverages. Um, wearing my uh, Blazers Brian Grant jersey, so you're going to have to rep for the northwest of course uh, you know but yeah man it was a good day you know we had a little uh, uh baptism at our church very nice was, uh, man. the family was from eritrea which is north of ethiopia if you don't know that but uh and so they served a meal afterward which was hey, that's cool awesome so i'm full <laughs> nice uh, a lot of people don't realize too that we usually record sunday nights you know because these things air whatever day we decide to put them out you know long after we record it but last time we recorded, you were you were inside. You're now back. You're now back in your lab, man. Yeah. Well, you've got all the it, all the records behind you. And yeah. The, the brewery and the whole nine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's only single digits, not triple digits. So <laughs> when it when it got to you know 100 and you know 16 or whatever, my wife was worried about me passing out. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. Not at all. Well, hey, we've we've got a special guest today. Why, why don't you take a second to introduce our guest? All right. Um, well, we have uh, the one, the only vocab Malone. Um, and uh, he came on my radar years back. Um, it was actually the very first sphere of hip hop compilation, um, which, you know, Royal Ruckus was a part of as well. Yeah. Um, and so that's how he kind of got on mine. And then I just started uh, checking out some of his other albums and stuff. And then, um, you know, and then, same thing kind of just pop back on the radar through instagram and whatnot so um it was yeah and a, and a cool thing too is that you were on a sphere of hip-hop compilation later yeah, a different one on the last one and that's how i knew who you were yeah that's true yeah yeah so it's it's kind of funny actually this is this is the conversation that couldn't have happened without yeah. sphere of hip-hop yeah so <laughs> wow that's uh bringing it back right there <laughs> crazy right so welcome to the show vocab malone yeah, I remember that song, Art of Music, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Soul Air, yeah. yeah, Manchild from Marzil, and it was called The Art of Music, and the idea was the art of hip-hop music is graffiti, so the whole song's about graph, because oh, I used to... I used to write and stuff like that. That's where I got my name. The last part of my name, Malone, it's my old tag name, which is Mal One. Oh. So my tag name became a fake fake last name. So I'm Mal One or Mal Oneer, but it just became a kind of alter ego last name but yeah wow and so i made a song about graph and it was on there and then there was one they did called underground yeah, classics yeah. but I, I don't know if it was a cd or it was only on the site and i there was another song on there but i don't know how it 
how it was distributed because he had the song, but no one ever told me about it. One day it just showed up. I was like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about? The underground classics. He put, he did those as well. It sounds really familiar, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like internet compilations, but I had a song in there called two MCs, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, but that was, that was interesting times when they first started. Yeah. Late nineties. Very first started like very, very, they actually uh, uh, did like, yeah, I think they did a review or they would sell my cassette tapes on the site when it had like a, yeah, a store yeah. this is in the very beginning I, so this is like old school right yeah i i remember those days well i mean because uh royal ruckus had just started i think around that same time and yeah i think it i was connected with them on some listserv maybe maybe it was the true hip-hop listserv right yeah yeah everyone was on there i don't know but it was like it was like this group of you know just a bunch of like christian hip-hop heads all kind of connecting and linking up and then it just it just grew and then you know people start creating things so you've got the two joshes created sphereofhiphop.com right um and like created this online community and i i think actually i didn't mean to jump right into all this but i think it's worth talking about for a second because it's really a different world we were living in back then yeah the internet was popping but it's not like it is now. There's much more of a ready platform. But back then, we were building our own platforms. Yeah, it was the first for a lot. At least for me, I think that was the first time I quote appeared on the internet. Yeah, it was because of Sphere of Hip Hop, like him putting the album cover, scanning. I, I think I sent him like a physical picture through the mail. Yeah, you know him scan scanning it and putting it up there give him like me a little sub page or something like that. Sure. Like that was like, Whoa, I'm on this thing called the internet. This is the, <laughs> this is my debut appearance on the internet is on sphere of hip hop. Yeah. So yeah, you're, it was literally being built from yeah. the ground up. Like print it off and uh, you know, take a copy of the printout to grandma to show her that you're on the internet. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting times, man. Uh, but they, they did a lot of good work. That was cool. Cool times. And then, you know, the forums are what really developed and a lot of people knew about the forums. Yeah. Cause that was, uh, an addition where everyone was for quite a yeah. while. So, so take me into that. You, you were doing rap stuff at the time, right? Yeah. I was in Columbus, Ohio and, uh, there was no built local scene in our city either. And so we were listening to Christian hip hop, but then we're kind of doing it in our city it, within the secular side of things. So sure. I would go like, you know, my stories are, I went to battles and open mic competitions with John Rubin and what we had a group at that time called showcase MCs. And I was one of the 10 members of showcase MCs and Hazakim because Hazakim from Columbus, they live in Florida now. Yeah. And John is from Columbus. Those are some of the people, some of the names people might know. Sure. Although DJ Manuel, uh, was our DJ and he DJed for grits. He was their, their, uh, tour DJ for a while. Yeah. And now he lives in LA and works with like kind of all the big time LA underground turntablists and stuff. Wow. So, uh, our experience was like booking local shows at local churches. And then it became a regional thing. You know, we're in Columbus, but we're going to Pennsylvania now, or we're going here. So kind of within that driving distance of Columbus, basically. And I was, uh, transitioning to where I wanted to be in the group. I wanted to be what we were doing, but I felt called to learn more about uh, scripture and ministry. So I was about to jump out of Columbus and go to this Bible college in Phoenix, Arizona, where I am now. 
And so at the very end, when John was about to get signed to OT, I was at the, I was involved with the sort of the very end stages of that. So oh, gotcha. for one of the first meet, meet, meet and greets he had, I, we drove the Nashville together nice. from Columbus and um, met all these guys and went into DJ Madge's office and all these kinds of things. And so I got a little taste of it, but then shortly after that, I was, I had to go, but then I started doing Christian hip hop stuff in Phoenix. Okay. And uh, one of the first shows I booked was John Rubin, myself with soup the chemist hey, here in nice. phoenix there it was it was, a, it was it was fun as that was, it was right when john's album dropped so anyways that was kind of what i was involved with back then yeah okay and you came out with a couple records like solo records as well yeah first i just did cassette tapes which i literally recorded as a teenager in my basement like on a uh you know taz cam uh multi-track essentially cassette yeah you know like that's for the studio yeah ill trip if you remember ill trip he would send me beats oh, yeah. ill trip from lab click yeah. yeah. he would send me beats on tapes through the mail <laughs> and i would use those <laughs> those beats this is the world it was in at that time you know yeah and uh then i would use those and record and then uh, I, I upgraded to a mini disc recorder nice. for a while and that's what i took when i moved to phoenix so i recorded my next couple of things with the local guys i met here in phoenix on that and then one day i graduated to a real studio <laughs> not my own though where i would actually go because I, I, I met some local guys and i just spent time trying to help build up the scene here we did a whole thing here for a while yeah and part of that included street witnessing and that is how I transitioned into apologetics because okay. we were basically rappers street witnessing sure. and would use hip hop with it. Right. But if you go out there week after week, which we were, you run into objections and you want to answer them. And if you go back, you'll see some of the same people. So we would literally go. And, and what happened is it transitioned from us going out there with the need to just kind of make a cipher to let's just go have these conversations with people about what we've been talking about. Yeah. And it transitioned into apologetics. And so I really got busy involved in apologetics at a street level with uh, the rise of the neo-atheists. So kind of like yeah. right after uh, the God Illusion came out, there's all these newly converted atheists. And so that was kind of my main guys I was dealing with because at Arizona State University was this big synergy for the atheists. They started all these new clubs and they would all go out on the street and they were they had atheist tracks. Wow. So they would have tracks against the reliability of scripture. They had a poster for God. Uh, it said one a dead or alive for the death of, you know, it was like 20 million people or something. Cause they added up all the deaths in the Bible, including the flood. So God was, so they were like proactive atheists. Right. And so uh, we were, we were dealing with them. And, uh, and because I was in Phoenix, there was also Mormons everywhere because oh, yeah, we're yeah. in Arizona and a good amount of Jehovah's witnesses. And, uh, to a certain extent, Roman Catholics, big Hispanic population here. So you're going to deal with that. And uh, I was just dealing with whatever was kind of in front of me. But then the next thing that got in front of me was Islam and Hebrewism. And those are the two main things I focus on today. Yeah. So my apologetics literally directly flew, uh, flowed out of, of what I was doing with Christian hip hop, like because of the street witnessing aspect. It, the transition, although unexpected, is very, you can dot it out. It's not like I took a radical ref, right turn or something. It's sure. connected directly to it. That makes sense. So now help me understand that for the, the street evangelism, were you literally just walking out, like having a cypher, like you're busking there on the side and people are listening to the music? Yeah, we call it freestyle witnessing. So okay. we, we actually developed kind of a philosophy 
and a whole ministry ethos. And we had this organization I started called uh, Urban Artists United, UAU Inc., Urban Artists United in Christ, and uh, gotten, you know, LLC and all that stuff. I didn't really know what I was doing, but uh, this whole thing, a bunch of college kids who were just go out there, spark a cipher, talk to people. And then when there was uh, street preachers, most of the street preachers at that time were kind of unsound, uh, hardcore moralism, legalism. And so we would kind of be on the out, or edges and they would be doing that. But then we try to talk to people on a more kind of gospel level than what was being presented with on the mic. Yeah. So we use some of the street preachers activity, but then we're trying to talk to people off uh, like a, in a more meaningful way. Yeah. And because of that, we developed uh, friendships with a lot of the atheists. So a lot of these atheists started off just as interlocutors and sometimes, you know, arts nemesis. And a number of these atheists, we developed re- some great friendships with over time. And some of those guys that I used to go head to head with are still my friends today. Yeah. And, uh, I thought, uh, and, you know, we've seen changes. Some of them have changed some positions and stuff. So there's been some good things out of it, but uh, yeah, we literally would spark a cipher with the intent though, to grab people's attention. And I remember when it was the most uh, blossoming, it was right after eight mile came out because before it was mainly hip hop heads who were, who were attracted to us. Yeah. So we were talking to a lot of that and that was fine with us after eight mile. We got all like the college. Oh my gosh. It's just like eight mile. Listen to these guys <laughs> rapping. So all of a sudden our crowds like tripled for the next, like, half a year our crowds were like tripled wow. that people were listening to this so it's kind of it was quite a funny and i literally heard people say it's just like eight mile i thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing it's like we've been doing this forever but now all of a sudden it's cool to you guys so and so that's what i do but alberto here he's still oh yeah he's still he still regularly does street evangelism not through hip-hop but he's out there all the time and he and, he, and that's he's he's kind of like taking up the torch well, i'm more on my computer and he's more out there <laughs> let's introduce alberto sure. say hi alberto i'm right here yeah and just so you know uh it took me one time to go out and evangelize the vocab and we almost got killed <laughs> by hebrew israelites oh wow that's actually true yeah and i was like and it was literally january 2018 like when the year kicked in and i'm like yeah this is not a good way to start the year like you know because it was literally like two of us and like 10 of them so what what happened they just got really heated yeah like and it's crazy because like you know it's it's such a different you know like i could really enjoy sharing the gospel with the mormon but when you go out there you know and 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 even me you know because i have more of a of a good stance, you know, and possibility to talk to Hebrew Israelite because they look at me and they're like, hey, look, you know, he's a, he's a brother, sure. you know, his sure. Issachar, his Mexican. They look at him and <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not on, I'm not on the chart. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking at, at like the Pillsbury Doughboy or, you know, some, so just <laughs> something thanks, that white. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, they got, it got out of hand. You know, we got the cops and that are showing up at the end. Wow. So I, I don't know. The guy later became a serial killer. Well, or a mass murderer. Yep. That's uncomfortable. But no, I mean, so far, <laughs> I honestly, like, and the last, I want to say, even during COVID, um, I've encountered nothing but Catholics when I'm, when I went in the streets and also, um, one of Pentecostals. Wow. But, you know, it, it, it's true what he said, like here, there's a big, big, you know, Hispanic population. Um, so I've got, I've, I've had the chance, you know, to really, really, you know, share people out there. But now that things are getting better, man, I want to get back out there because, you know, during COVID, it was a very hard time, you know, just to stay inside and no church, no evangelism. Yeah, right. Very, very tough. So th- this is something uh, you guys do. You guys are... Um 
you guys have a ministry. Uh, I believe you would call it a ministry, right? Urban mm-hmm. apologetics. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing. So it's actually just me. Okay. Um, I began that meme page. You know, obviously he's, he's well. You gotta tell him you're talking about the Instagram page. I don't think he understands. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So Urban Apologetics is just an Instagram page that I that I have, you know, just in case okay. you were confused. Um, and I began this May 2017 because I started to see how people were so um they were so interested and so enthusiastic about memes. So I noticed that memes, as long as they're funny and biblical, people will come and enjoy them and learn, you know, so you know, have have a good laugh. And now I'm about to reach 14,000 followers, you know, by the will of God. Wow. But that's how I've gotten to me, you know, also, that's actually how I made vocab. Um, it's going to sound weird, but I actually slid into the DMs <laughs> and we ended up hanging out. And it's just so coincidental. He's like, hey, bro, I'm moving right now. Come through. And actually they come through. But yeah, it's been about that time. So yeah, my ministry is memes and apologetics. Okay. Well, you also the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, obviously, yeah. And when we and I go out for the most part. So I, I was thinking. So I, I definitely made an assumption here. So I, I made a leap over some things. I was thinking the street evangelism, the Instagram, and the podcast were all under a banner. The same thing. No, yeah. So his Instagram page is separate. It's just urban okay. underscore apologetics. What I got right there, which he mainly does memes, and uh, it's a really good, uh, really good one. Okay. And then my uh, live stream show, I'm mainly a live streamer uh, on YouTube and whatever, is called Street Apologists. And uh, and sometimes he's on and stuff like that. Okay. And then we hit the streets, but he goes out more regularly to the streets. I got you. And then more like talks to people in markets, whereas I go out as well and I'll invite him. But it's a lot of times when I'm going, say, to a mosque or more recently to talk to Hebrew Israelites. Yeah. And so he'll come to that. So we work together and stuff like that. And of course, there's the broad term urban apologetics, which is essentially just contextualized apologetics, right. you know, in an urban context. Right. That uh, to a sense, we're both engaged in. And we've done a couple uh, urban apologetics conferences here. We call it Doctrine for the Block, okay. and he spoke at Doctrine for the Block. That's a cool name. Uh, on various issues. I like it. <laughs> yeah, we do it here in Phoenix. Give it a Phoenix flavor. It goes pretty and good. And it's pretty cool how many different people come up. Mexicans, all everything. Yes, yeah, diverse. Hey, uh, you know, I was thinking it would be actually kind of interesting for our listeners, uh, you know, because the way the show is set up, we almost get into faith almost every time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get into some interesting stuff that people don't necessarily know about. Why don't you break it down a little bit what the Hebrew Israelites are about? Sure. Yeah. Uh, because I guess we mentioned them a few times already. <laughs> well, uh, the way I uh, term it is uh, referred to the ideology. So the ideology is Hebrew Israelism. Scholars will sometimes use the term black Israelism. But uh, the idea there is that if you are in some way a descendant of someone who was involved in the sense of being a victim of the transatlantic slave trade, then it's highly likely you are a biblical Israelite. And consequently, the so-called Jews, as they would put it, are not Israelites. And then within the spectrum of Hebrew Israelism, some say it's only black folks. Others say, no, there's a 12 tribes chart and there's different people groups to be identified with one of the 12 tribes. So remember earlier he said Issachar. That's because these kinds of Hebrew Israelites, whom we call one Westers, on their 12 tribes chart, 
they would identify him as being part of the tribe of Issachar because he's Mexican-American. Uh, cookbook, you had him on. He would be considered part of Ephraim because he's Puerto Rican. So okay. it depends on your ethnicity. It has to be on your father's side as well. And so that's a certain kind of Hebrew Israelite. Those are the ones you usually see on the street. Then there's ones who don't do as much street stuff. They tend to not have a chart and they tend to be kind of less radical or militant than a lot of the guys you see on the street. Although as this uh, movement is growing, the estimates are that there could be the, the most recent data done by the Philos uh, project is basically puts about a million and a half Americans identify as Hebrew Israelites. And so, but they're not out there on the street. So it doesn't necessarily seem like that, but it's a growing thing. But as it grows, it's becoming more diverse and more people are doing uh, syncretism where I've met Muslims who identify as Hebrews like Roman Catholics who identify mm. as Hebrews like uh, Moors who identify as Hebrews lights. And so there's people who are kind of mixing and matching these different things. And there's developing, just like there's developing almost Christian looking Hebrew Israelites, as far as their ide ideas, there mm -hmm. are also more radical factions developing where uh, they mix other things like sovereign citizen ideology in what their Hebrew Israelism, and they can get pretty radical. In fact, uh, I think it was last week, a guy in Florida who actually had those two elements as well as some other elements in his theology because he clearly expressed it. Uh, he shot a cop uh, who approached him wow. and uh, almost killed him. The cop was an ICU made it. out. was Daytona Beach. You can look up the story about the cop who was shot, and they caught the guy hiding in a treehouse in Atlanta later on. Uh, but that that was a pretty crazy wow. story. And he mixed uh, what's called Morris Science Temple, although he had his own version of that, along with Hebrew Israelism and sovereign citizen, which is not a religion, but a philosophy and ideology about government and your role there. Uh, mix those things together. And those guys are becoming more militant. The best example of that is something that's popped up on a lot of people's radar that they simply will sometimes call it a black militia, but it's uh, called the NFAC, the Not Effing Around Coalition. And okay. they've done a couple of marches and whatnot. And they're led by a guy named Grandmaster Jay. But they've made the news quite prominently. And they're an example of kind of a new element that's developing where it's encompassing different things. So that's not traditional Hebrew Israelism, but the ideas are present. The real growth of Hebrew Islamism, though, is kind of on the centrist or the moderates online and the more radical guys out on the street. So every city is developing more and more camps all the time. Camp is roughly equivalent to a denomination. So it's a massive, massive thing. And so uh, we're trying to specialize it and get detailed in it so people can understand what it is. And uh, hopefully as well as how to refute it, because essentially it's not just the identity claims that are the problem. It's these theological claims, rejection of the Trinity, rejection of uh essentially anything in church history they just call everything roman that's they kind of just <laughs> slur everything is roman everything is right. pagan and uh so you're you're constantly having to deal with lots of misconceptions and it's it's a heavily meme-based theology people read a meme and then they pass on the argument and you really have to deal with those kinds of arguments because it's affecting people's lives pastors are changing people are losing congregations families are getting broken apart all because of hebrew islamism Dude, that's wow. crazy that like that's happening over memes, <laughs> you know. Uh, memes <laughs> is an element of it. I mean, they would they, if a Hebrew Israelite is going to watch this and be like, "Vocab's lying." That's not true. We have these documents, but I cannot tell you how many times I've had Hebrews like repeat a meme argument I saw, and I ask them to show me the source, and they say, they send me a meme. This this has not happened once. It's happened multiple times. Someone will send me the meme as a source, and I'll say. Do you understand that's not a source? And they'll say, it's not a source to you, but it's a source to me. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, let's talk about what a primary source is. I'll say, do you have something that'd be a primary source for this claim? And they'll send, uh, a, they'll send a picture 
of a book that turned got turned into a meme, like where they take a picture of a book, then highlight a word. And they'll say, look, it's in his book. I'm like, okay, that doesn't make it a primary source because just because it's in a book, it has to be in some way contemporaneous, for example, in regards to this first century claim or something like that. And they'll, and they'll, and they'll say, well, it's not a primary source to you, but it is to me. I'm like, no, you don't understand what a primary source is. So wow. we're kind of dealing with a lot of that. Now, as the movement develops, like anything, you get sharper and sharper apologists and more sure. uh, people involved who have greater multi multidisciplinary facility. And so, right. you know, I'm saying that, but that's where it is now. But imagine Mormonism in the beginning, right? You yeah. might say, oh, we're dealing with a bunch of farmers from New York or something like that. But obviously it doesn't stay there. So if a movement grows, it gets more sophisticated. So a lot of people hear that and think, who cares? Hebrewism is becoming more sophisticated and it's uh, denials of the gospel and uh, ways that it promotes its uh, belief system. So people should be aware of that too. They're constantly developing, especially as an apologetic movement over the past year has developed to essentially say uh, not so fast, you know, so they've developed more sophisticated argumentation. So we're seeing the, the ideology kind of morph before our eyes in a lot of ways. Now, how are these camps uh, like interconnected? So um, let's say you're part of the Assemblies of God. They're kind of headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, but they're not very centralized in the way that um, an Episcopalian church would be, for example. But there's some centralization to okay. deal with basically problems and, and things like that, right? There's some level of administration within the Assemblies of God. But then there's a denomination here, or I'm sorry, there's a church here in, in South Phoenix, and there's a church in Columbus, Ohio, and it's in the Assemblies of God church. Well, so the reason why I say that is there are specific groups within Hebrewism, and they'll sometimes call themselves a camp, but then their manifestation in a local city, they'll also call a camp. So there's almost like okay. C camp, like capital C camp, and then there's camp like small C camp in a way. Sure. And so IUIC I'll be specific. Israel United in Christ. They're the guys who wear the purple and gold. They're the largest one West type Hebrew Israelite camp. They're based in New York City, but they have camps all over the United States and all over the world. They have camps in England, Barbados, and now they're doing missionary trips into West Africa. So they have new camps pop popping up in other places. And the way you can see if it's more established or not is if they have a physical address, because IUIC is one of the groups that does try to get buildings. So IUIC will want a centralized place to meet. And so once they have a school, they'll call it a school. They don't call it a church. They build schools. Once they have a school, but their school functions like a religious meeting place. It's not actually a K through 12 school, you see what I'm saying, but they're calling it a school. Right, right, uh, right. Once they have that, then it's then you know they're more established. And so IUIC will have a breaking ground ceremony for these schools. And sometimes they'll even have a breaking ground ceremony for the camp, which means they kind of go out in the street together. Like maybe the guys from New York will travel to say LA and they'll go out on the street for the first time together. And that's the beginning of the, the camp being an official recognized thing. But that is just one group, IUIC, with their different uh, chapters. We, they don't call them chapters, but chapters kind of help people understand what it is. But then when I say one West, think of one West like the category reformed. There's not a denomination that's reformed per se or one. There sure. are denominations with the word reformed in their title. But if I say reformed, you're understanding reformed theology and you're thinking of a broad umbrella with different types, including Presbyterians or reformed Baptists and everybody else right. in between, right? Okay, so here you go. Do, 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 do. Then there's these different types of churches or denominations that are under the theological umbrella reformed. One West is a theological umbrella okay. because it has to do with an address that was in Harlem. So one West 125th Street 
at one time in the all th- from 1969 to about 1999 or so, they were roughly together unified in this little school in Harlem. But mm. things changed and they split out. And then as these guys left the main school, they started developing their own camps. So if a group has certain distinctives that we recognize, we say that's one West Hebrew Israelism. The distinctives are the chart, Lashawan Kadosh, which is a stylized version of Hebrew that uh, uses the A, the A sound instead of other vowels. They mainly just everything is. So God's name is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Yahweh Shai instead of Yahweh and Yeshua. And so they use that. And there's a number of other things that they, they do to let you know and this and is a one West. They're really, in, they're really intense about these distinctives, right? Like, yes, distant on them. Yes, but things are changing to where they're willing to drop some of their older distinctives that their teachers taught them back in the day in New York, but they develop their new distinctives instead. So, for example, I mentioned IUIC. Yeah, they if they're going to be faithful to classic one West Hebrew Israelism, their name should be Israel. Their name should be Yasharala United in Yahawashai meaning they should be using Lashawan Kodash in their name, but they essentially have dropped Lashawan Kodash, even though the leader, Nathaniel, who was actually a former NYPD detective, Nathaniel, the leader of the school, has dropped Lashawan Kodash as a distinctive. So they, they're Israel United of Christ. They don't use it, even though that's what he was taught by the elders at One West before he started his own group. But they've developed new distinctives. So IUIC says you cannot be polygamous. But his teachers and most of the camps that came out of that same school with him, they all teach you can be polygamous. And in fact, you should. So they've oh, dropped. Wow. So he's dropped polygamy. So now they have new distinctives and now they'll attack their other camps that were formed by other guys who were students contemporaneous with them. For example, ISUPK led by General Yohana. ISUPK, Israel like school of universal practical knowledge, is led by a guy who was a contemporary of Nathaniel. But now they each have their own school. They were both taught by the leaders. Now they're the students with their own groups. ICPK teaches you you actually should have more than one wife because it teaches you how to build a nation because it teaches you management and administrative <laughs> skills. Uh, nice. So that's what Very they teach. Nice. And they have said now women can wear pants. So to, to all the other Hebrews like groups, that's a big deal because wearing a dress is one of the first things IS, IUIC tries to do to a woman. Put this dress on, sister. ISPK says, well, they're women's pants, so it's not wearing men's clothes because they're women's pants. So that's a distinctive for them. ISPK is that women can wear sure. pants. So they'll fight about these tiny little things. But then they all don't like the Christians. But the problems with Hebrew Israelites is they don't know what Christians believe. None of them can describe the Trinity. None of them understand what sanctification. They, they don't like Forget about differences in denominations between Christians. They have a hard time explaining accurately the basics of what Christianity is. They think if they disprove December 25th as Jesus's birthday, they've disproved something about Christianity, for example. Right. You know, things like that. So so um, it's uh, which I know wouldn't be relevant to you guys, but that's the kind of thing (laughs) that they think is going on. So um, but nonetheless, they're growing and they are becoming more sophisticated and uh, I think that everyone will run into uh, Hebrews of Light within the next five years if they live in the city. You're going to know them. What, what are their numbers like these days, do you think? No, no, it was exactly. But this poll that was done by the Philos Project was designed to find out Black Americans' perspectives on Israel and Jews in general. And within this poll, so it was a pretty, you know, they, they tell you the methodology. You can find the results online and all that. You can read through it. Within the survey, one question they ask is, uh, do you know or identify as a Hebrew Israelite, right? 
And so they got a percentage of just within black Americans, how many said you never heard of it or heard of it, disagree or heard of it, agree with some of it, or I am one. And about 4% of black Americans surveyed said I am one. And if you do the numbers for what constitutes a black American within the United States, that equals about a million and a half people who said I am a Hebrew Israelite. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean that camps have that many. IUIC right. is the largest One West camp, and they probably have about 8,000 members, but yeah. they're the biggest One West camp. But see, I've only talked about One West. I didn't even talk about the non-One West groups like Israel of God in Riverdale, Illinois. They have a 6,000-seat church building. Wow. And that's just that's just one of their locations. Now it's the main location. It's a, in a suburb wow. in the south side of Chicago. But people were unaware of this, and then these things yeah. are happening, and now all of a sudden it pops up on people's radar, and they're not uh, equipped to deal with it. You know? Yeah, you know, honestly, I I've definitely heard of it, and I think I think I actually heard you a year or two ago on. Uh, the Hank Hanegraaff podcast. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Talking about this, so it's not like this is my first time, but I don't think until right now that I realized how much it's grown. And I think I've just thought of it as kind of a fringy thing. And it sounds to me like uh, with numbers like that, it can't really be dismissed. Yeah, Kendrick Lamar promoted it on Damn Heavily. He even included oh, yeah. clips by Hebrews Light member, his cousin Carl. Uh, on the voice messages that are left in between the interludes, that's Carl, who was an IUIC member at the time. He's since left. Um, Ice wow. Cube, uh, uh, a little oh, while yeah. ago, uh, shared a bunch of memes that were Hebrew Israelite related. And so I did a show on that as Ice Cube gone. Even Bill Cosby thank some Hebrew Israelites in relationship to his his woes. Now, it doesn't mean that he's embraced it or anything like that, but he sure. was thanking some. So it's interesting that somehow they're involved with his like his life over the past year. I don't know, visiting him, things like that, supporting him. Yeah. Um, and that's just that's just some. Amari Stoudemire is full out Hebrew Israelite, although he's involved with a very peaceful, a very uh, a very kind of integrationist type movement. So Amar Sotomayor, former Phoenix Suns basketball player. Currently, uh, you'll see uh, a couple of guys. Carmelo Anthony has some 5% ideology, but also has embraced some elements of Hebrewism. And he did that some of that on his podcast. Um, Fantasia, the singer, uh, she has... Even T.I. has to an extent, Nick Cannon has, but that doesn't mean they're Hebrew Israelites. It means they're embracing elements of Hebrew Israelism ideology. But what it shows is before where you have a celebrity kind of say, I want to thank Lord Jesus Christ, Savior. And and like it's like you the joke is like, yeah, your album's filled with taking his name in vain. What are you talking about now? The sort of plausibility framework structure is changing to where Christianity might be one of them. But it's not a given within certain settings and certain um, subcultures that it's going to be that they're framework might be actually Hebrew Israelism. And so it doesn't mean they are faithful going out doing whatever, but it means that that it, it's interesting to see the kind of ideological uh, paradigm shift within that. And there's other ones. Dwight Howard, for example, has embraced some Hebrew Israelism ideas. Wow. I've covered some of these on my, on my show. Um, I usually don't focus on the celebrities as much. Kanye did some stuff. He even, he even got into some obscure doctrines such as, such as the 400 year prophecy, but this is before yeah. Jesus is King and who sure. knows how serious he was taken. It, but he said some stuff that basically only a Hebrew Israelite would say. Now, that doesn't mean sure. he is, but it's it's clear somebody's in a lot of people's ear way more yeah. than used to be. And well, so it's Kanye. So it helps. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, the thing is, it, you're right, but it's not only Kanye. That's what's interesting. Right. It's, yeah, it's Ice Cube and everybody right, right. else. Including people who deny the Bible was reliable. Like you'll look at some of these celebrities I've talked about, and they'll have these memes attacking the Bible. 
And then they'll have, we are the Hebrew Israelites of the Bible. So you, you're getting that kind of thing as well. And so it's a fascinating thing. And uh, it's hard because a lot of people don't know how to uh, process it because they'll yeah. hear someone say Hebrew Israelite type stuff. And it's like, well, they don't know how to, what, what, where do I filter this through? They'll say, oh, you're a nation of Islam. No, no, no. It's not, you know, cause it's, it's sort of new and foreign a little bit to, to, to people for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's not, it's, it's not super prevalent, like out here in the West Coast, like I haven't run into really any, you know, I'm sure there is, I mean, like you're saying, like Damon Stoudemire and stuff, but. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's pretty big in uh, San Diego. It might even be bigger in San Diego than uh, L.A., but there's definitely some camps getting busy out there in San Diego. What is, do you have any sense of what the Jewish community's impression is of the Hebrew Israelite? I can't imagine they they like it very much or appreciate it. I'm sure there's been some negative interactions between the communities. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, secular academic Jews who study this stuff, and so some have done so more on the research side. Okay, and like, uh, and and then a few have done so kind of in the the reporting side. Most uh, newspaper articles uh, on Hebrewism usually have a number of mistakes, but. There's one guy, for example, Sam Kestenbaum. He used to write for the Jewish Forward. Uh, his articles are—they're uh, um, almost always right. He doesn't he like so he—he he clearly knows what he's talking about okay. in regards to this. So there's some—he would be secular Jewish. So you'll see some of that. Some of these organi- organizations—they're uh, not necessarily Jewish per se, but like the SPLC or the ADL, Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, Anti-Defamation League, they'll have some stuff on Hebrew Islam, so they'll have profiles, but it's more along the lines of almost like a, a terror watch thing. But uh, some folks who who track that, they kind of, some of them deal with it with uh, kid gloves because a lot of them, I think, feel like the real threat is more on what they would call the alt-right than they do from whatever Hebrew Islam is. And so sometimes you see a lack of willingness to engage it, but there's some things there, but, uh, you know, it's not uh, hot and heavy yet. It's not super prevalent. It's more within kind of some of the academic circles and kind of the terror watch type people sure. that kind of attract some of it. And the, the good thing about them when they do it, although they filter everything through a certain lens, is they have resources and access to certain things to investigate that whenever they do do it, they usually produce some decent content that helps people like me because they're able to, to get a hold of things. For example, um, you know, uh, when somebody commits a crime, uh, they take down their social media profiles pretty quickly. And a lot of times these ADL or SPLC folks, mainly the ADL, they're good at getting a hold of the data on the social media, taking screenshots before it gets deleted. And so by the time I get to it, you know, this person's social media is deleted. I'm talking about Hebrews like who end up in the news, which occasionally happens. Right. Uh, by the time I get to it, it's gone. And so uh, sometimes I'll have to rely partially on whatever the ADL found before it got taken down. There's, they're good at finding people's social media profile to cover kind of deeper level stuff. And so uh, there's some of that, but wow. we'll, we'll see what, what happens. They always filter it through a secular lens. You know, they'll say, Oh, this group's homophobic. This group is anti pro uh, anti pro choice. This group is, you know, they'll, they'll then mention those things that aren't necessarily the prominent features about these groups, but they they they, uh, they they think it's important to track that as well, I guess. Now, you said that this is uh, something that you kind of f- focus on as a specialty. Um, I know you talk about other things as well, though, um, but I'm curious, what kinds of things do you cover? Um, and, and then why this um, as a specialty, if I understood you correctly? Yeah, well, with Hebrew Islam, uh, I kind of just stumbled into it in my neighborhood. 
And then when I started doing stuff on it, I saw there wasn't a lot of uh, resources and stuff. So I just stuck with it and it yeah. kind of became a calling because I saw like I was helping people and people seemed appreciative and it seemed like a real need, a real need there. Right. And then the thing, the main thing I was doing right before was Islam. And so I still always revisit Islam. When I do that, that's usually more so when I kind of uh, with my buddies. I don't do as much solo stuff on Islam these days. Uh, but but um, that's that's something that I still do to an extent. But on my channel, I'll cover also what kind of things fall into my lap. So I do specialize in Hebrew Islam stuff, but it's broader urban apologetics. So I recently had a nation of Islam member on and we talked oh, interesting. and I thought it was a good discussion. You know, he was, he yeah. wanted to come because I had done some shows on the NOI and he felt like, well, let me give the other side. And so we had a discussion. I let him say, you know, here's my perspective on what Bokeb said about the NOI. Same thing happened with a 5% or guy. So I'll sometimes do those because I have some of the resources and access. And once you understand uh, some of these, there's some overlap. But the details yeah. obviously get more specific. Um, right. So I'll do that. And uh, sometimes those things will happen with other things. Like oh, if someone asks me a question about open theism, and I'm not going to become the specialist on open theism, but I'll, I'll do a, maybe a few programs on open theism in response to someone's question or something like that. Like, so things are kind of like what also kind of pops up or happens. It's not as much news driven for me, although it's not that I'd never do anything with the news, but my show is a little more evergreen. It's not as yeah. much like this happened in the news. Um, although, like I said, sometimes I'll do that, but that's not really the main thing. So it's not uh, that way. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's what happened with, you know, people, I don't know what's going to be trans. I don't know what's going to have transpired by the time this airs, but that's what happened with Eastern, <laughs> or, Eastern Orthodoxy. I right, had some right. uh, experiences with it prior in my life from friends and uh, things like that. But then recently some people brought some things and I said, well, let me try to see if I can help by putting out some things and we can talk about it. So, sure, sure. so that's why I've done a few things on Eastern Orthodoxy because again, people in my life so i'm responsive to that yeah. kind of yeah. like people that are listen or supportive or or obviously friends or family and i'll do stuff like that versus just like uh well what's on the news or something like that yeah and in case like that where with the orthodox stuff um it was someone like specifically reaching out and saying hey i want to know a little bit more about your perspective on orthodoxy can you help me uh like was it like that specific or not exactly uh with this one I'll just say someone that I know was talking to me about some things within orthodoxy. Um, it wasn't exactly like, sometimes it is like, Hey, I'd like to get your, your viewpoint on it. And uh, this one was more like had some conversations. I said, you know, this would make this, this, I think more people should hear this. Let me do, let's do some, I, th I really think I should do some programs on this to talk about it because um, even if it's not going to be, my specialty doesn't seem like within, if you want to call it the evangelical Protestant world, obviously there's not a ton of uh, people who kind of specialize in that area at all. And yeah. so I'm like, well, we can have some discussions about it because it's not like I have zero resources. There's, there's levels, right? right? I would say I'm a student of it. I wouldn't act like I know all the things about it, but it doesn't mean there's nothing to say about it either. At least in my mind, uh, I think right. we can have a decent discussion about some of the things too, especially if you're, reading directly from sources and, and, and interacting with it, you know, as yeah. opposed to just saying, Oh, here's what, you know, if you're reading from it and interacting, reading even if someone doesn't agree with your interaction, they're at least seeing what the, what the primary resource says itself. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, it's right there. This is, this is, this is, for example, uh, I, I was going through some, 
some uh, forms because to me, this is very practical. So when they say, well, that, to me, I care about kind of some of that stuff. So I was going through yeah. the forms that a new convert uh, at a certain um, at a certain location that they would have to fill out before their chrism- chrismation, right? Sure. And I was looking at the stuff that you would have to say, especially the part that I found most interesting was the stuff you would have to say during – now, not everyone does this, but some do, and it was on this form, when you yeah. do your um, renunciation of errors – that was one of the most interesting sure. parts to me to do that. And so I was, I was reading it from there. Right. Yeah. But then I would give a response, right. You know, which when they reject papal, uh, papal primacy and supremacy, I'm like, Hey, yeah, that's all uh, right. Right. But then other <laughs> stuff, other stuff would be different. Like for example, you know, reject sola fide, uh, reject uh, reformer understanding of predestination, things like that. Right. Like, well, my reaction would be different than obviously rejecting the Pope. Sure. And, and that's the thing. It's like when you're coming at it, you're, you're coming with a pretty well uh, developed and understood theology of your own. And so when you're looking at a primary resource and uh, you know, a primary source, I'm sorry, and you're responding to it, uh, it's right there. It's simple. It's, it's vocab's perspective. Yeah. So I was doing there, but like with, um, the show I had where it was actually me and a Roman Catholic gentleman discussing uh, Cyril Lucas, Lucaris, sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, we would give a perspective. Obviously, we're kind of, we're kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, just we're kind of like, we're also talking about a, an important thing within within church history that yeah. uh, not a lot of people know that you can't necessarily find everywhere. You know, right. and so I thought that was an interesting uh, program. So that was a little different. I wasn't playing a chrismation ceremony and reacting to it like I did. I only did two videos, but, you know, this would be a month ago. So I don't know if that will change since then. Sure. How dare you? How dare you? Hey, Chun Jay here. Just wanted to drop in halfway through the episode. Thank you for listening. I want to let you know what's coming up and tell you about something else going on. We had Vocab Malone on the show, not only because he's a cool dude and because we have some rap history. We also had him on because he has this live stream show where he talks about apologetics. And he recently brought up Eastern Orthodoxy, which is the faith tradition that Nomadic Vagabond and I are both part of. And so we thought it would be interesting to have a conversation with him because he ruffled some feathers with some of the things he said. Now, this is not a debate show, and we don't debate on the show. However, we got to enter into a special conversation right after this. We talk about orthodoxy and get a chance to speak to vocab directly about our perspective on things and some things that he might be able to research. We thought it would be nice to have a conversation where we can actually talk to each other as friends in dialogue. Now, when you get done with this episode, if you are interested in listening to some of what we have to say about faith, I recently had the opportunity to be on the Areopagus show once again. We got to talk about this great stuff on this new Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll-based podcast that Christianity Today has been putting out. And I got to sit down with Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Pastor Michael Landsman and kind of have a little discussion about kind of what went wrong there, how we are enjoying that other podcast, and what lessons we can learn. So check that out. Enjoy. 
Here's the rest of the episode. Hey, Jamie, Clayton, I appreciate you guys having me and Alberto on and being able to talk about all these kinds of things. Uh, I'll probably never become the a specialist in Eastern Orthodox theology, per se, in the sense of the only or one of the main things I focus on. But for when I do talk about it, think about it, discuss it, uh, what things are things you guys think are important? For a Protestant, you can make it a Reformed Protestant. He's Reformed as well, uh, like myself, to understand because I get a, I've gotten a lot of comments that basically say from the Eastern Orthodox quarter of things, uh, you Protestants in general don't understand Eastern Orthodoxy and you criticize it, and you specifically vocab don't understand it and you criticize it. So I was like, well, I wonder if there's some friendlier faces like your guys's <laughs> who you know are pretty chill. Say, okay, what are these, what are these things that you think? Um, uh, we should know, we should hear, because I'd love to hear them, whether I agree or not, maybe move. Sure. I just want to try to understand better perspective yeah. because it seems to be pretty mutual across the board from most comments I've been getting. You know, I, I want to say sorry about any negative comments you've gotten on the internet. I think some of that is just, it's, I don't know, the YouTube effect or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, back, back. I, to understand what hell is like, just spend a little time in the YouTube mm -hmm. comments. So, so I specifically I'm, tell my son not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm glad though that we get to talk to you um, ourselves because uh, the internet is a pretty wild place. You know, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're doing what you're doing, vocab. And you know, I mean, obviously, like there was, you know, I did watch the video, and I've, I've been listening to some of the one that you did with uh, your friend who's Catholic. And there's some things, of course, like I don't agree with. But at the same time, like, I think the fact that you're actually taking the time to, like, learn about it instead of just completely dismiss it, I think that's a good thing. And I think it's Shit, easy yeah. for, for people to be, um, you know, to kind of just start getting all fired up. And I'm like, well, you know, like you're saying, like, you know, you're talking about, like, not necessarily being ready to debate. I think being able to take time back and actually learn about something before you go full bore on something is shows wisdom yes appreciate yeah. that um you know i i want to jump in here and talk a little bit about like some distinctions um mm -hmm. so i i was also reformed at one point and it was really tough to go from reformed christianity to orthodoxy and that's that's a story for a different day but uh i made some theological shifts that were pretty significant you know so obviously mm -hmm. some of the more jarring ones to you would be predestination uh you know we we would not have a calvinistic doctrine of predestination you know our understanding would be that that god's election uh and his foreknowledge you know his prescience were uh are intertwined so that that would be a big one uh that would be different now sola fide you know faith alone you mentioned that one mm -hmm. earlier and of course our perspective on that would be different as well. You know, we don't believe in forensic justification. Uh, we we do believe that salvation is a lifelong process. Um, 
that begins at baptism and is continued throughout our life. So, so that's obviously a big difference. Now, I will say the reason I started with these two things is number one, you're reformed. And number two, I used to be. Mm-hmm. And those were the two things that really were my last two pillars to fall before I became orthodox. Mm-hmm. Predestination, I'll leave that one aside for now, uh, because I think we just get into exegesis here and uh, debate like that. But um, for faith alone, the biggest, the here's what did it for me. It was actually fairly simple. I went to liturgy as an inquirer, and it was the, the bishop was there that Sunday, and mm-hmm. the epistle reading was from Galatians chapter three, and he preached on Galatians primarily. Mm-hmm. And all of my fears that orthodoxy was this, you know, crass works righteousness or something like that um, were just wiped away in the sermon. And I thought, well, if if that's something an orthodox bishop teaches, then I my critique of their doctrine of justification um, isn't correct. And so I had to, to go back and revisit that we obviously have a a very specific ecclesiology in view of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we see the importance of apostolic succession, not only in the laying on of hands uh, for the setting apart of bishops, but also sharing of the Orthodox and Catholic faith. Um, And I, I, I use those terms on purpose because we believe that the Orthodox church is the fullness of the one Holy Catholic and apostolic church. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would obviously be a big digression with with your views and a very distinct and significant portion of uh, the Orthodox claim. Right. Um, yeah. To, to put it uh, the way uh, Frederica Matthews Green did, um, you know, she basically said the early church still exists and you can join it. Right. And so if one comes to that conclusion, which I did, well, then... Or that's orthodoxy. Um, obviously, you haven't come to that conclusion. So uh, those are probably the three big ones that I would throw out there off off the cuff. Uh, what are you thinking about nomadic? Well, I mean, me to call him Clayton. Yeah. <laughs> nomadic works. Um, nomadic works. Well, I mean, I'm I'm in one spot right now, so you know, I'm not that nomadic, I guess. But um, <laughs> you know, I mean, when it comes to um, Sola Scriptura, I think that might be, that's a hard thing for people mm-hmm. um, in, in the evangelical world, because because for us, it's like, you know, we see the, the scriptures and the church being one together growing up. So it's almost like when you separate one from the other, you're almost taking out of context. Yeah, it's def- definitely, we would, we would so see it's the like, church um, and tradition going hand in hand, that I'm sorry, it's scripture and tradition going hand in hand within the church. Sorry, keep keep going. You you uh you froze yeah. up there, so I jumped in, but you're back. So yeah. Um, but you know, I think you know the other thing I think about too is like I mean when the first time I went to a liturgy, I didn't know what was going on, but I my soul felt the home, but that's because I was headed that way already. Um but you know, I would tell a lot of people too, it's like, you know, our some of the things that you're not sure about are they unscriptural or do they just look too much like roman catholicism to where there's a knee-jerk reaction and so i would tell people like how much 
can, you know, instead of looking for like, this is this, this is this, like, look at the places where God actually is, and then go from there. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I said it very well, but that's the best I got. Let, let, let me ask you, have, have you had a chance to attend an Orthodox church for any services yet? No, um, I'm not opposed to it. I would, I, I could, I could do that. Um, uh, I've been to Roman Catholic church. Obviously I'm not saying it's the same, but, but I would sure, do it. Sure. I, I would be willing to, to go. Uh, the trouble I have, of course, is like, I'm pretty plugged in, pretty involved where I'm at, but it doesn't mean I can't not go. In yeah. fact, uh, once I started doing this, I was like, man, I should, uh, I should try to go over there. I'm not saying this is the same thing. So please don't, but like there was a time in my life where I was studying heavily Christian science, not Scientology, not right. Scientology, which is different. Mary Baker, Eddie stuff. <laughs> and, you know, and I went yeah. to, went to some services. There was a time in my life where I was studying something called Ekankar, which is not a very popular group, but it was at one time. And uh, I went there and I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just making the point. That no, I, guess I, don't have, right I don't have a problem with that. And I do think that's an important part of overall understanding. So that's why I yeah. wanted to go. So that's why I do, do want to go. And I got some friends. So, you know, I mentioned internet comments, but that's not, if that was all it was, then I probably wouldn't be doing this. It's more like also uh, friends, people I know mm -hmm. directly, um, people I talk to, people in Phoenix, people here, people there, you know what I'm saying? So, so I probably have a couple of friends I could probably even go with. Sure. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure actually, if, uh, at least if it's, uh, you know, information gathering, as long as he doesn't think you're, you know, there to debate or something, I think you'd be really warmly received. But, the, but part of the reason I asked that is because uh, there's a thing a lot of Orthodox people like to say, and it's, uh, you know, they take it from the gospels and they say, come and see. And there is something to that in Orthodoxy I think it's valuable to see it, you know, in its incarnated experience. Um, and I know right there in Phoenix, because my wife is actually uh, from Phoenix. Um, so I've, I've been to a couple of the Orthodox churches there. So oh, you've, okay. you've got several options. And the, the nice thing is many Orthodox churches, I don't know how things are because of COVID, but as things are lifting, you may have more options. Um, the Vespers services yeah. on Saturday nights are often available. Yeah. So I've been in the buildings of some, okay. but not for service. Uh, so like, this is a bulletin. He's got a bulletin uh, up from one in Peoria from uh, St. Harlem Bosch Greek Orthodox church, Reverend Michael T. Pallad. And nice. uh, you know, it's, it's got a, a lot in it. So um, so I know where some of them are as well. That's not the only one in, in the sure. Phoenix area, sure. but I've got a couple of bulletins because I've, I've been in a few for various things and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I know, I know some of the ones you're talking about. Nice. And then of course we have other churches in the East. They wouldn't be, you know, they would be, I guess, non-Chalcedonian. Uh, yeah. like here we have uh, Syrian churches and some other things because we have a, a good mixture of that. So there's uh, some other things as well from from the east uh not yeah. not eoc though per se right yeah clayton has a strong fondness for the ethiopian orthodox and uh mm -hmm. they are also non-chalcedonian of course i do mm -hmm. i do yeah i, I have mm -hmm. been learning more and more I, i've known some people who are members but lately i've been learning a little bit more about uh them specifically because um sometimes they come up in discussions that we might have with um, certain detractors of Christianity who part of the view they have is Christianity was never on African soil. 
in any oh, meaningful right. way until right. colonial colonialist or something like that. So sometimes it helps to to know more about specifically the Church of Ethiopia and the cops and things like yeah. that. You know, they, they need to see in Acts, of course, the Ethiopian eunuch who was baptized, and, yeah. and there's other there's other things there. You know, uh, even Apollos, he was uh, from Alexandria, so Egypt, and he comes over in Acts eighteen twenty four to twenty eight, and uh, debates rabbis in the synagogue and whatnot. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but there's a lot to learn. You know what I mean? Like even when I meet um, Eastern Orthodox people, they don't necessarily always know right a ton i'm not saying everybody right. but a lot of people i've met about some of the other churches of the east like like uh, yeah. uh sometimes they might have more uh, awareness for example of, of the russians if they're greek yeah. mm -hmm. you know seems like yeah. they might know more about that but uh not as much at least from my experience of say the cops and things like that which is you know nothing against them but it's interesting and i understand because they're non-calcedonian so they're not kind of uh, within that same broader right. rubric of the Chalcedonian, the churches of the seven councils, they would be called. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, self, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think one of the things to keep in mind is these mm -hmm. churches haven't spoken to each other in centuries. You know, it's really only in the modern era that there's really even been any conversation or dialogue. And then, of course, you now get the situation that we have here in America. Uh, where it's this, you know, melting pot and people are still immigrating despite all the things that happen politically. There's still immigration happening here all the time. And so, like, if you were to come to my church, which is a Greek church in Boca Raton, Florida, um, you know, my Russian wife goes, you know, it's not uncommon for me to be in a pew with a Haitian and a Bulgarian, uh, you know, and all these ethnicities. And then you go further down the street, and two doors down, we've got the Armenian Orthodox, and they're non-Chalcedonian. Well, are you in Greek Greek Orthodox Church? I'm America? in a Greek church uh, right now. Yeah. Is it yeah, affiliated with an official body? It's yes. Not Antiochian. No, it's I, I'm okay. in the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese. Okay. And um, so both of you guys are okay. No, he's. I am, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're in the Greek Archdiocese. Yeah. Mine okay. Is Greek. My what? I mean, my wife's part Greek, so you know. Okay, I didn't realize that. Um, but, but, you know, even then, like, uh, I was baptized in the OCA, the Orthodox Church in America, um, and out when I was at, in a different state. And then I was in the Moscow Patriarchate. So it was Russian Orthodox. And, you know, my wife grew up actually in Russia. So, mm -hmm. um, so anyway, when you talk about all these different things, especially when you're talking about the Chalcedonian churches, you know, we are the same faith through and through. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's not strange to go from one to the other. Uh, whereas, as you're talking about with these other churches of the East, it's it can be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like well, I know it's more, I guess maybe political, but I know the Russian Orthodox and Ukrainian Orthodox Church are having strained relations, as it were. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know if you know about some of that. Oh but, yeah, there, there, you know, there's always there's always a mess somewhere in the world, and. Uh, Sometimes it's on orthodox vestments as well. Yeah. So the things you guys um, spoke about, um, you know, I would say that for the most part, I think sounded pretty familiar to my ears. But when I discuss them in public, the responses still seem to be, by and large, you're not understanding what's going on. Is um, do you think there is there? A thought and for some people to think, look, if you truly understand orthodoxy, you wouldn't criticize it. You would be orthodox. Do you think there's a thought maybe that some orthodox have that idea? I certainly see that uh, online sometimes. 
I see that that kind of comment dropped on things. Because uh, uh, I wonder if it's possible to have some level of understanding. We can always understand better, but yeah. some level. I'm, I'm, I know that's not a precise word, but some level, and still say, well, this I, I don't think this is right or correct or biblical. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like that's possible. I mean, the orthodox people could have a good understanding of reformed theology say for example and still reject it now if you're if you're yeah. eoc you would say yeah because it's not true i understand that that's part of the perspective but uh it would be like you know i could see how someone could essentially properly understand something and still say here's why i don't agree with it or something like that i'm just i i, I just wonder if, i wonder if we ever get past that i wonder if i'll ever get past that with anyone uh, or with the larger community because I, I don't i don't know but go ahead sorry i i hope so um i i think there is a tendency for people uh maybe especially converts um to really you've you've worked so hard in your thinking to get to this point or you know yeah. some people even when they join the orthodox church they have friends or family that are upset about it you know so there may even be personal sacrifices that have been made and so i think at that point the tendency is like well if you only saw all that i went through and how clearly i see it then you would you'd be this too you know almost a you know how how dare you question and question in a way that isn't how I understand it. Um, so I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a tendency for people to be protective um, of cherished beliefs and maybe, maybe that's some of what's going on there. Well, like I said, there's plenty of growth that I think, uh, can, can happen, but uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was saying, I think the thing too, is like if you're saying like you've got friends and stuff who are um, Eastern Orthodox, like, you know, spend that dialogue. I think the the better dialogue sometimes is not on the internet. Um, and it's with people who, you know, actually love you and care for you. And so they're going to actually care for you, Lord willing, instead of just trying to make a point. And I mean, I've, I've been to that. I have a friend who is, um, you know, he's, he's Protestant and he's deeply, and I think he's even going more reformed, which sometimes I feel like is making things harder for us. But him and I have known each other for years and we we've come to a point now where we can actually just dialogue um, and just try to get to understand each other more. And at That's the end good. of the day, we're still, we're still going to believe what we're going to believe, but um, you know, just getting to understand each other is a good thing because then you, your view of your viewpoint of each other is less um, negative. Basically. Jamie, you mentioned a number of people, you know, more on the personal side say, well, you won't really be able to understand it uh, until you come and experience it and almost seem to um, maybe think, and if you do experience it, you know, that's going to be a, a major factor in you uh, converting or turning. So when I was look, talk, when I was first talking about this, yeah. I had to tell a couple of people because I didn't want to kind of like uh, lead them on and just say, Hey, I'm looking into Eastern Orthodoxy a little bit more recently. Um, but, but it's, mm, I, 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 I'm not doing this because I'm saying I'm, going to convert right. to it i'm saying i want to understand it better just right. want you to know that it's that i'm saying eastern orthodox people to tell yeah. them because it seems like um some people almost some eastern orthodox people i've talked to it's almost like oh you're looking into it that means you're right you're thinking about <laughs> you're thinking about joining it. like there's not we're excited bro we're excited yeah and, yeah, and yeah. so I've, I've tried to tell people like to try to not to make sure i'm not leading them. no no that's that's not right now now look i wasn't raised reformed so uh like I understand paradigm shifts and 
God working. So I, I, I think we need to be open to that. Sure. But it's, at the same time, it's like um, you can't be indecisive or never make a statement about anything. It's like, well, here's my understanding this far, yeah. and here's why it seems problematic. Or here, if we, if you want me to say something good, here's something I could say that's good. But yeah. uh, just kind of working, working through that. So uh, you know, lots of reading and lots of listening to different lectures. Uh, by uh, different folks. Uh, there's some prominent ones, like you guys probably know the folks out of Riverside, California. You know, what is it? Patristic yeah. Nectar. What is it yeah. called? I forgot. You know, they yeah. do some interesting videos and uh, there's a number of folks like that. Yeah, I'll, checking I'll, out. I'll, uh, if you're interested too, I can send you some materials. Like if there's anything specific uh, you're looking okay. for, I'll be happy to send you some stuff. Um, I actually have another podcast that I do with Ancient Faith Radio mm -hmm. um, called Bad Books of the Bible, but that may mm -hmm. not be the one uh, for you, but there's all kinds of resources on ancient faith that I consider uh, very reliable and helpful. Uh, there are a ton of resources out there, uh, especially if uh, if you're coming at it to understand. I think, you know, there, you're right. There is this tendency where there's an eagerness. Oh, oh, he, vocab must be converting, you know, but I think it's totally legitimate to simply explore but there is value in in seeing the uh, services performed and seeing what it's like in an embodied way. One thing to remember too, if you ever do darken the doors of an Orthodox church, um, most people stand the whole time. It's real easy to get away with standing near the back and being real discreet. I've, I've done it many times. Uh, I took six years before I converted uh, where I was dropping in on Orthodox churches. And there were some times where I was able to slip in and slip out unnoticed, which may be of value to you. But then, then there are other times where I, I couldn't escape. There's a spy sent us sent us <laughs> spy spy out our freedom. <laughs> no, uh, I, I read about one guy who uh, went and um, uh, <laughs> they came up to him and said, "Hey, man, you need to take your hands out of your pockets because I guess he had his hands out oh. of pockets all the time." And then another guy uh, read about when he went and uh, the, uh, someone came up to him from the church and said, hey, you need to move off of that. And he's like, what, what, there's a certain square inch of carpet or something he wasn't supposed to stand on because <laughs> something was going to go. I didn't really under, fully understand it. I was like, I uh, it's like, man, I got to watch out, man. It's like, well, yeah, put I mean, my hands in my pockets. Watch it, where I don't stand on the wrong kind of carpet or something. I don't know. It, it is funny because with, with orthodoxy being so new to this country uh, and coming from multiple ethnicities you do get cultural sensitivities that are sometimes different i've definitely scandalized uh at least one greek person by crossing my legs in church during the sermon done that um, <laughs> so i don't I... I don't typically worry about that anymore nobody else has confronted me but you know occasionally you'll get something like that but it's just you know cultural housekeeping i think for a lot of people mm, interesting yeah, well, you know, I can I can deal with some of that. It's not the not the end of the world. I mean, some of it is um, somewhat familiar, not not hundred percent, but I uh, for about a year uh, or a little bit more. Now I was involved with them longer, but I was a member of an Arabic church for a year. Uh, now the church was evangelical, but mm -hmm. there are certain cultural elements that, despite they were be considered evangelical, kind of by the outside world, like the name Baptist was on the church. There's a lot of cultural elements that. Uh, as I've been looking into things, I can see there'll be some similarities, uh, bet, some carryover yeah. that are more sort of cultural yeah. 
with going to yeah, some yeah. of the Eastern churches. And uh, I said, okay, okay. You know, I can, I can, uh, you know, that's, I've, I've learned a little bit, a little bit about that and seen a little bit of that. Uh, but, I'll tell you what's a trip is uh, Googling like Ukrainian Baptist churches, like, like Baptist right. churches in Ukraine yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. or evangelical churches in like Ukraine or Russia. Um, they look somewhat orthodox at times. I mean, sometimes they're even wearing vestments, not all the time, but sometimes right. they're vestments or they might even have some icons, but you know, the substance is, is quite a bit different, but right. Yeah. No, funny. I have an evangel. I have a reform friend who's a missionary in Ukraine. Oh, so wow. we've talked, we talked about some of this stuff, uh, interesting stuff. Um, well, I, I did have Jeremiah dirt, uh, go to Vespers with me once and nobody kicked him out. So, Oh really? Did he dreads and tattoos? And everything yeah, and everything? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he got arrested in like Tijuana or something. I mean, you don't want to, you stand out when you're Jeremiah dirt and yeah. he, he did fine. San Diego for a while, right? Oh yeah, that's I think when we hung out. And yeah, stuff. yeah. We went to a little, uh, a little Mexican spot, like a little kind of not taco stand, but just a, a shade above that little spot here in Phoenix. And uh, they had the Alberta. What are the what are the dry, or the grub worms that sometimes people eat? They're like the little worms in the packets. <laughs> what are those called? Um, you know what I'm talking about? It's um, when you go to Mexican certain Mexican spots. Yeah. Have you ever had them? They're like I mean, worms. In Spanish, they call them bris. Yeah. But I mean, people typically put them on tequila, and and I don't know if it's true. He, but... he dirt just put the packet in his <laughs> mouth. Really? Have you ever seen someone do that where they just no, eat them? Not like I mean, I've seen. I'm bro. I've done. I've done it, bro. You've you done. You've knocked not, them back. Not, not worms, but I've done crickets. There's a, that's uh, I've, I've done the crickets. I've yeah. done the crickets. And Mexicans. You know, Cricket club. Did. High five. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, as long as you pay for it, bro, it's good. Yeah, so, <laughs> hey, so, so Timothy, that's what Paul told Timothy, right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, anyways, Dirt went, he just <laughs> the whole little packet and just, I think it was just to impress us or something, but I was like, all right, okay, okay. That yeah. sounds like something he'd do. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so speaking of uh, lighter stuff, uh, you're, you, you've are you got some nice facial hair going on. Uh, yeah. you, both, you both are rocking uh, some bit. level of beardness. Got that chin strap. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah Alberto's got to step his game up. I don't know if his wife would be down with that though. <laughs> well, he, you know, he's he's got some volume on his chin though itself. Yeah, it's not the I, only place he's got volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro, I I'll keep it like this. I know I work in the office. You're keeping it like that. He works for the government, man. The government uh, will do it. The man will keep. No, you my down. my job, my job for the longest time had some rules that you couldn't have uh, facial hair beyond a mustache. And so the only time I could grow any facial hair is when I like went on vacation. Right. And they recently changed the rules. And so I've been finally able to grow a little something, something. So is we'll that see a, how... post, a post COVID blessing? No, uh, no, it was kind of right before that, but it, you oh, know, nice. maybe, but it's, but it's been nice. I'm, I'm going to see, I've, I'm going to see, I've had it somewhat thicker and somewhat longer than this. So this is not a, this is obviously trimmed to an extent, but I'm going to see what I'm going to do with it. But yeah, uh, I, I'm, I might want to go further. You know, I'm interested in seeing what else I can do. That's you, one thing the Hebrews like to like about you guys. You have beards. They would like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've got some great beards in orthodoxy. Yeah, uh, the Hebrews lights would like that. I, I actually have a, a Facebook meme page called ortho beard. Right, it's right. one of the little silly side projects I do. Now, do you do any anything uh, special for beard care? Or do you just? I have some beard uh, wax. I haven't necessarily found like the one brand that I'm always going to get. I've fooled around with several, so yeah. I put some wax that kind of, at least for me, what I'm learning gives a little sure. bit of shape, a little bit of shine, and then uh, a little bit of oil after the wax. And, uh, and then I have a, you know, now I got the, the special kind of combs and oh, stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. The yep. tiny little scissors, you know, to get a little this, a little that out. Beyond that, I haven't done much. I've I've got a couple of shampoos that are supposed to be like shampoo your beard <laughs> type thing every now and then. Yeah. But I, I don't know if the, how effective or whatever is of that. So I'm still learning what else I need to do. Because obviously, the, I had trouble when it got longer. I had more trouble controlling it as much and that's why it tends yeah. to be a little short as of now so sure i haven't figured that part out so i don't know what do you guys uh recommend but, what do you well do? i mean for me i mean when you talk about out of control the, the the gray ones are the ones that are the unruly hairs for me <laughs> mm. but um you know like i made actually a uh, lotion but it worked well for my uh beard too it's like, it's like i mix cocoa butter coconut oil shea butter shea oil and some avocado oil and yeah. um, it, it works perfect. You know, I kind of rub it into my face, kind of get my face moisturized and then with my beard. And then I got a, a wooden comb that I started using as well to try and keep it, right. you know, fairly, fairly camp, you know. All right. Well, sounds like you could uh, sell that, you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know, ortho is like straight. You could have some kind of play on words with that, you know. That's right. Ortho, <laughs> ortho straight or whatever. Yeah. Hey, what about, what about you, man? What do you do with your beard, bro? Honestly, I have my own trimmer at home, uh-huh. so I get the mirror like the one you can pull out to you, and I'll go like this just because I hate having like you know like the, all the hairs poking out. Yeah. It looks really really messy, and I the mustache you know, can I keep it like a you know how like Tony Stark kind of has like a line? Huh? Yeah, it's kind of mm-hmm. how I keep it. it. Looks like more than a line to me. <laughs> well, right now, right now, I, you know it's a weekend, so I'm like, I don't really so care. You don't put nothing in it. Not even, bro. Well, maybe one day you'll wow. graduate. <laughs> so well, I don't know what what do you recommend there, Jamie? What should we be doing? For one thing, when I get my hair cut, I have her trim my beard, and I have a person that knows how to do it. So that helps. Right now, things are a little uh, like I'm due. I just made my appointment, 
and I had, she was out of town last time. So I didn't get the right treatment. So this is not the proper effect, but I do put beard oil every day. Uh, I also condition it when I'm in the shower. Um, I don't do a lot of beard oil necessarily, but, and lately I've been using also like the olive oil lotion that you can get in like the hair section. Uh, And I'll put that in at night a couple times a week, just for a little extra Hmm. moisturizing. Um, Honestly, it sounds laborious, but it doesn't really actually take that much time. I think if, if you're putting a good oil or wax, like you're, like you're doing and you're brushing and then occasionally trimming, I think you're going to have a nice, respectable looking beard. All right. All right. Maybe I can risk getting it. Oh, I said wax, but technically I think it says beard balm. Now, I don't know if there's a difference, oh, but the stuff sure. I use technically is called beard balm, not beard wax. Yeah. Is that, is okay. there, there's right. a difference? Well, I mean, a balm is just basically going to be not as heavy as a wax, but okay, yeah, yeah. thicker, thicker than an oil, you know? Yeah. Technically it's a called beard balm. Okay. And, yeah. And yeah, when I Although go to the barber now, have... they charge me extra. When I go to the barber cause they work on my beard a little bit. Although, uh, yeah. Of course. I was gonna say, I think vocab, he'd look good with a, uh, you know, like, a, you know, throw it out a little pencil thin. <laughs> He's I think a mustache wax. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll see what's up. I'll, I don't know. I'll see what's up. It's hard because when it gets too much here, it always bothers the corner of my lips. So I haven't uh, I always end up trimming it, even if I'm like, oh, I'm going to let it grow. Then I start, it starts bothering me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to trim my mustache up. It bugs me when it gets over my lip, you know, get that yes. soup strainer going. Yeah. And then it's hard for me to, once it gets on my neck, I always feel like it looks unruly. So, so I, I don't let it go as much as maybe I should. See, I want to let it grow longer, but I have habits that I keep on a, kind of sort of accidentally trimming it because I'm <laughs> like, man, so we'll see. Cause I have had it longer and it looked pretty cool a couple of times. I'll see if I can get back to that, that stage. We'll see. I mean, the other thing is, you know, I get out of the shower now I've got a little miniature blow dryer. And so I'm always the, one of the things I do wow. is got to get, get that and shape it. Cause my, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the homeboy that does a lot of stuff on uh, uh, cross examined uh, good brother, Jose, he does a lot of good stuff on there and uh, he's got a, for, for a great beard. And uh, he taught me some tricks when we we're hanging out at an apologetics conference, <laughs> although mine is not quite like his, but maybe one nice. day. Well, beards is our middle name, but bruise is our first name. Um, <laughs> what are you guys drinking? Well, I mean, Right now, you know, we're just having water because I have to drive back home. Okay. But yeah, but typically, if I do have a beer, um, I love Mexican brews. Okay. Um, nice. I don't know if you have like Negra Modelo. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Pacifico. Nice. Yeah. There is uh, Victorias. That's my, my that's my personal favorite one. I don't know that I've had Victorias. Victorias. Uh, where do you where do you live in in the, in the country? Uh, I'm in South Florida. Clayton's in Oregon. Me, I, I would yeah, think Portland. maybe Oregon has some because I've I've been before to like Oregon City and Portland, but I've never been to South Florida, and I don't think uh, I, I'm not gonna you know get eaten by a croc. I'm, I'm not gonna go over there. <laughs> and vocab, what what would you be drinking if you were not drinking water and having a beer right now? Well, so I don't, <laughs> I don't really like the taste of beer yet. Oh. I've, only, I've only had um, basically sips 
here and there That's and whenever right. i have it i never really like it yet um so i'll try to, if my friend is messing around with something i'll be like let me see what it is and every time i'm always like yeah you can just keep that <laughs> and then i've had a couple of reform friends who are all about having a big beard sure and and smoking a big cigar and drinking dark beer and so i when i hang out with them and to talk theology or whatever um they're like well here take this and take this and uh you right. know i'm not really into that either but i'll try to like be all things all people or something <laughs> so i've tried some of that and i also just you know i'll do it and i'm like trying to okay okay but not really digging it and you know yeah. usually someone will finish mine or something like that so if i do ever get any kind of alcohol when i go to a restaurant a lot of times i'll say something super embarrassing i'll look at the waiter and i'll say uh what would a girl drink what would a <laughs> white woman drink and if you have that, <laughs> but not wine, not beer, because I don't like wine either. Oh, and, white <laughs> and so, and so, um, but usually it ends up being fun stuff like margarita or daiquiri, because sometimes that's good with Mexican sure, food, especially. Sure, yeah. yeah so I'm the wrong guy to talk to because I'm kind of, if I can taste the alcohol, I don't like it. So it has to be kind of, which is so, kind of the, the opposite of the point, but it's just where I'm at. Cause I didn't grow up messing around with it all. So it's only recently I even messed with it a little bit, you know? Uh, it's also funny because what I'm drinking, I'm drinking the athletic brewing Company's upside down golden ale, which is Ooh. a non-alcoholic beer. And oh, wow. my wife and I were recently invited over to some friends of ours for game night. And I'd never had alcohol with them. They're newer friends. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to think, we asked them what to bring. They said nothing. So uh, I thought, well, let's bring something. Why don't we bring the non-alcoholic beers? Because surely they like beer and we'll turn them on to something new. Um, but if they don't drink at all, then we haven't like overstepped. My, my friend Luther good name was very polite and he he cracked one open and then he told me a story about why he didn't drink beer and didn't like it and was not interested in it ever and proceeded to try to drink the non-alcoholic one with me imagine that a guy named luther who doesn't drink <laughs> who'd have thunk but i was gonna say like i think like there's particular beers that accompany a meal like perfectly because if yeah. I have steaks, yeah. like uh, I personally drink like a Slurratois, but if it's tacos, bro, Victoria, Negra Morelo, <laughs> like it just goes excellent with it. The flavor is enhanced. All right, we'll see. No, well, I just, I just no made matter, a what mistake. Are you on? <laughs> I was like, I'm sipping on, um, it's the Old Chico Crystal Wheat from uh, oh, Sierra Nevada. Nevada. My, uh, yeah, my uh, godson, his mother, they live out in Cali. And so this is something you can only get in Cali. So whenever she comes up, she brings me a six pack. So. Nice. You know, I had to break out something special, you know. I was gonna right. say I've I've had a lot of different ones from Sierra Nevada, but I don't think I've had that one. Yeah, boy. Throw out your socials. What do you want to plug? Um uh, for me, it's just at Vocab Malone. And are you on anything besides Instagram, Alberto? Well, are you on anything besides Instagram? Well, he's gotta take a call. Uh, Alberto is actually bigger on social media than I could ever hope to be because his, <laughs> his Instagram is pretty big. And so uh, at urban underscore apologetics is where you can find him. He's got a good sense of humor on there. And then with uh, with mine, uh, I do stuff on YouTube. So that's just youtube.com slash vocab Malone. And then uh, I do some stuff. I kind of mix personal stuff in, it will, you know, I'll have some nerdy stuff on there too. So I don't make the best use of my other social media because um it's like too much of a mixture. There'll be theology next to pictures of, you know, toys or something stupid like that. But uh, 
Instagram at Vocab Malone, Twitter at Vocab Malone, Facebook at Vocab Malone. So there's just all that. And then for the show itself, there's also show socials at Street Apologist, which is Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are there as well. And so uh, mine are pretty, pretty easy to find, I think. Pretty easy to find. Very nice. And uh, this week, I'd like to plug for myself, if you go to jamieb.com, that's J-A-M-E-Y, B as in boy.com, you can see all the things that I'm up to. It's basically just a link tree, um, has my new podcast, has a link to this, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff, the music I'm doing, Royal Ruckus, and so on and so forth. Nomadic, why don't you give us some socials of yours and our show? Uh, my only social is uh, at Nomadic Vagabonds with a K instead of a C on Instagram. And um, it's at Bruise Beards on Instagram as well. We're, uh, you know, trying to be as active as possible on there. So we're going to keep revamping. So, you know, give us a follow, give us a like, uh, subscribe to the show, of course. That's right. Um, yeah, that's what I got. All right. And so for our last two questions, they're really um, both about songs. So I'm just going to group them together. Number one, what's a song you would like to share with our listeners from your your catalog? And number two, your favorite rap song of all time. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to agree with the message or anything, just something that was just a game-changing song for you that made you fall in love with the genre. Song of mine I'd recommend. Uh, oh, just because, just because it's... Uh, well, I, my my most popular song I think was uh, the song called Happy Hardcore, and uh, that's probably I don't know if I want to say my most poppy song. It's kind of like uh, almost like disco funk or something like that, but it's hip hop. But uh, that's probably because it's got like a singing chorus and whatever. So if you just look up Vocabulary and Happy Hardcore, that was the name of the album too. But I'll probably yeah. say uh, Happy Hardcore. It gives people a sense of. Something yeah. I, I did at some point that, that some people sure. seem to like. And then, uh, you know, favorite song. I mean, so I'm, you know, constantly listening, going back and listening to archived hip hop. And so, you know, I kind of find different songs at different times that are sort of like, you know, favorite uh, song to listen to or something like that. But um, uh, when I say a favorite song, see, See, it's more like uh, if you say a, a game-changing song, it, it, I was already listening to hip-hop, but sure. it's probably when I first heard uh, Chino XL's first album because I obviously don't agree with the message or anything like that. But to me, Chino XL was like one of the few artists that I like. Uh, felt like I identified with his attitude and uh, his willingness to say anything, to get the punchline, and just the way it was was so different now. To me, he's like... Yeah. You know, he's he's not at the beginning of his career now. And he's sort of a little more conventional than he used to be. Sure. But the less conventional he was in the beginning, like, you know, when I heard, like, Here to Save You All or Deliver or songs like that, I was just like, whoa. Yeah, this he's is mad crazy. underrated. Yeah, this is crazy. This dude is saying this stuff and these lines. This is crazy. How's he coming up yeah. with this stuff? And then he was different. His aesthetic was different. So, like, he was just like, I'm going to kind of do my own kind of hip hop. And you know what's funny? <laughs> in interviews uh, at that time, he constantly described himself as an iconoclast. 
If you look up, if you look up Chino XO iconoclasm, you'll probably get a couple of hits because wow. what he would do is he would give his own kind of working definition of what an iconoclast is, and then he would say that's why I like mention anybody in pop culture or politics or any sphere of life in my in my rhymes because like I'm like pulling them all down, you know. And so it doesn't matter how revered they were or anything like that. Like he would, he had this line where he said, you know, I perform in front of more sellout crowds than an NAACP meeting. You know, all his his lines were like, didn't didn't care. And that's actually what got him in trouble with Tupac because a lot of people only know what you know itself from the Tupac beef is he was uh, willing to say stuff about uh, Tupac. Like he used his name in a rhyme. Uh, the one that got him in trouble, I won't repeat, but he had one that was like, I um, I do something. I forget what it is that he does. I do such, such, a, more than Tupac has to say, your honor. Oh, <laughs> wow. Like, but that's not, <laughs> that was actually a lesser known uh, rhyme of his. It was a different line. That, like I said, I won't repeat. That got him in trouble where, yeah. where uh, Tupac was like, you know, and uh, I, <laughs> to me, it was dope that this guy would be willing to say anything about any artist, any time, any place. And it would always be like this insanely clever thing. So, uh, him, but I mean, I had to, you know, I had to make sure I'd never listened to too much of Chino XL, even though it was uh, because it was like he, for lack of a better phrase, such dark energy, you know, like mm, uh, some right. people associated yeah. him with horrorcore. Uh, you know, like he, he would sometimes associate himself with the genre of horrorcore. Yeah. And, uh, and so that. like, so yeah, it's just a super negative kind of cynical, sardonic, you know, almost like uh, the ancient Greek, uh, not not the sophists, but the ancient Greek skeptics. It's almost like that kind of thing, which makes sense. He would call himself an iconoclast. But yeah. uh, nonetheless, uh, Chino, because then I was like, whoa, you could MC like that. And then, uh, you know, a lot of people think that like Eminem is sort of like, a polished Chino XL, whether or not he bit him, you know, whatever that means, because everyone influences everyone. But sure. like the level of lines and sort of shock factor, Eminem was sort of like yeah. a palatable Chino XL, because Chino never blew up like that. He had some mild hits, but he never blew up. But uh, definitely more, sort of, he made himself more palatable, and uh, production was kind of more user-friendly right. as well, I guess. But uh, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I, I could totally I see that. Hmm? I was going to say, like, Chino and M were actually on a track together. It was like a wake up show. Anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. one where he says, where Chino says, Chino says, uh, he literally says, you're whack like Will Smith. So the line goes, you're whack like Will Smith. Your rhyme style is pansy. Mess around and I'll murder your young butt like Jean Benet Ramsey. Wow. He literally yeah, says, yeah. but I always he thought it was funny. He's like, there's nothing else to the line other than you whack like Will Smith. <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah. It's just it's funny. And then what he proceeded yeah. to say, which he said it even more forceful than I said it. Like, I was all this pansy, mess around, murder your young, like John Benier. It's like so messed up, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was dope on that too, because, you know, this place is my house, you know. Uh, you can't see yeah. me like Mace's eyebrows, you know, going to go. Yeah, I love that. Line. That's my couch. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I know that track. Different era of hip hop, to be sure, you know. Well, we appreciate you being on today, and uh, we we want to say uh, thank you to the listeners. Um, you've been listening to Bruise Beards and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus, and I'm here with Somatic Vagabond, and we're also here with Okay Malone and Alberto. Thanks for listening. And keep up your guard, and don't let go of the dream that you have and don't let go even if they laugh dance
straight Lift your head, fixate With your eye to the sky, begin commemorate Grab a hold of a comet, snag a sail, take flight Come on everybody, gonna be alright Gotta fight your fight through the night and tomorrow Press on through your sorrow, pathway narrow You know he's sterile, that's his style Go through your trial, dance and just smile I on a sparrow, cause that's his style Go through your trial, dance and just smile Getting much brighter, child. Things are getting much easier, so dance. Saying can't 